It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Hello everyone, it's time for the Agriculture Conversation on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. I'm Lane Nordland. Today, our topic will center around how agricultural leaders came together to help feed our National Guard troops who have been deployed to Washington, D.C. Representatives from five Farmers Union State Associations will share their story of how they teamed up to raise $50,000 to provide nutritious box meals through the Founding Farmers Restaurant Group out in our nation's capital to make sure that our men and women that serve in the National Guard have the opportunity to eat healthy, nutritious, American-produced food. When we come back, we'll be joined by agricultural leaders from the Farmers Union State Affiliates in Montana, North Dakota, Minnesota, South Dakota, Wisconsin, and a representative from the Founding Farmers Restaurant Group based in Washington, D.C. We'll be back right after this. You deserve to work with an accounting firm that understands that agriculture is a way of life as much as it's a way to make a living. At Whipfley, we not only understand tax law, but also the agriculture industry. Our dedicated team of ag professionals can help you navigate tax complexities, help your farm or ranch operation with accounting and payroll setup, and assist with specialty tax services like R&D studies and more. So whether you need tax planning and preparation or traditional accounting assistance, call one of our offices or visit Whipfley com today. All right, friends, as we return back to our agriculture conversation today, we are joined by leaders of farmers unions from across the nation and members of farmers union enterprises. In addition to the founding farmers restaurant group, Dan Simons joins us uh, as well. But first, we're going to start uh, with Walter Schweitzer. He is the president of the Montana Farmers Union. Also joining us, Mark Watney with North Dakota Farmers Union, Gary Wordish with Minnesota, Doug Somke of South Dakota and Darren Von Ruden of Wisconsin. But Walter, uh, how are things there in central Montana on the home operation for you here today? Well, we just got started calving. Uh, we had seven yesterday and it's beautiful weather to be doing it in. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a beautiful day in Montana when you don't have wind and snow. <laughs> That is true, especially in the Judith Basin where you call home that uh, wind uh, tends to blow just a little bit, but uh, hopefully calving goes well. And of course, Montana's legislative session is is underway right now. And I know Montana Farmers Union is very busy in Montana's capital working on those issues. And as we mentioned in our intro, we're, we're talking about uh, some other efforts to make sure that uh, nutritious food is out there for citizens to eat but also for our outstanding national guards troops and we're going to continue that conversation uh here today but uh first i'm going to go to next to mark watney north dakota farmers union president uh mark uh, how are things uh just uh, over to the east of where i'm broadcasting here today well things are, are pretty decent uh just as you guys have had a pretty reasonable winter as far as uh, weather and snow uh, definitely could use some moisture here uh, i think almost all the state is dry and, uh, and, and if we have our preference, it'll come in rain in the spring anyway, that's usually better, but uh, we could use some uh, big projects in the state, uh, working on uh, beef processing, beef processing concepts, uh, uh, trying to get our state legislature to add some dollars into a value-added egg fund. And uh, we're building a brand new camp up here. We're gonna have a camp right north of Jamestown where we can house uh, another probably 12, 1300 kids through the summer. And uh, surprisingly, our camps are uh, getting a lot of pressure to fill. We're ahead of uh, registration and uh, barring that we can do them with the COVID world, we're going to have a really excellent camping summer. Um, on the big picture, we're uh, focused on concentration and ethanol. That's what we're working on. But that's the current big issues for North Dakota. Well, uh, again, I know uh, youth and uh, parents are ready for their kids to get out and, and see their friends and participate in camps. And I have all my FFA regalia behind me. I spent quite a lot of time up at the Montana Farmers Union camp in the Highwood Mountains where we would host our FFA camps. So uh, uh, close to my heart, uh, uh, Farmers Union camps, that's that's for sure. So great to hear that things are going there and moisture, of course. Hopefully you get some get some rain here this spring. Uh, we we all need it here in the West, that's for sure. And uh, uh, looking a, a little further east, uh, Mr. Gary Werdish joins us from uh, Minnesota. Gary, uh, how are things going out in your neck of the woods here today? Good afternoon, Lane. Uh, Weather-wise, it's pretty good. We've had one of the most uh, 
easier winners that we've had for a long time. Although we did have a blizzard uh, yesterday or whatever it was and got some snow, but that'll be gone by tomorrow probably. Some parts of the state got 8 to 10, 12 inches, so it'll be a few more days. But this weekend they're forecasting back in the 60 degrees, so that'll that'll melt stuff fast. So, you know, the soil-wise, we're in pretty good shape. We had a nice fall, and so, you know, we're not – we're not dry and we're not abundant. So, you know, I think we're look, most farmers are looking for an early, early go at the spring planting, which, you know, certainly until right now we got some snow, but that definitely looks like that's in the forefront. Our legislative session is uh, on, is in the session right now on farmers, you know, a couple of the big issues we're working on, we're trying to get, um, the governor's got it in his budget and there's been various bills uh, introduced to increase uh, funding for a small meat processing you know, whether expansion of some equal to or, uh, or custom exempt plants or start some new ones. So there's, some, you know, seems to be some momentum behind that. And then ethanol, we're, we're, we do have a push to try and get to an E15 standard within the state of Minnesota. We have, we have 20 ethanol plants, so we definitely produce more ethanol than we use. And, you know, we, as we talk about that, we really talk about uh, the clean air advantages of it, you know, Sure, the farmers will increase, will benefit by an increased market, but all consumers, especially the densely, densely populated areas, will, they're the ones that will really benefit from the cleaner air by removing more of the gasoline toxins from the air. So, so you know, as any legislative session, there, you know, it's not over till it's over, but, you know, there are some of the priorities that we are working on. Well, Gary, thank you so much for that update. And uh, again, so so many of the, the same key issues that we're working on across uh, all of our states. Uh, uh, ethanol, not so much in Montana. We don't have uh, very much corn production, but again, uh, very important issues that all farmers union states and, and national farmers union work on behalf of, of all of their members. And also in South Dakota joining us, uh, he is the president. Doug Somke joins us. Doug, how are you doing, sir? Oh, in South Dakota, we're just living the dream, man. I mean, we got uh, good temperatures. We've got uh, moisture. We've had two snowstorms in the last week that have all melted off pretty much now. And uh, just like I said, living the dream. Well, again, thanks for joining us uh, here today, Doug, uh, via the phone. And finally, uh, last but not least, on the Farmers Union president uh, end of things is Darren Von Ruden from Wisconsin. Uh, how, how are things uh, your way in the cheese state? Well, the cheese state is uh, mostly white today. We had that uh, blizzard that Gary was talking about, uh, ended up about four inches here at home. So we're going to be melting for a day and a half and then looking forward to those 60 degree temperatures this uh this weekend again so uh, uh, we're looking at probably you know a week and a half to two weeks before any field work can be done around here uh it's also legislative action here in our state it's a budget year so we're concentrating on budget issues right now uh, one thing our governor did this year during the uh, his state of the union address was talked about agriculture um, for probably 20 percent of his speech uh, which is just unreal usually you get a word here and there of farming um, from the governor, but this year did a lot. Um, we've been holding uh, meetings across the, or through Zoom um, throughout the winter and um, have been having close to a hundred participants on those webinars every other Wednesday or Thursday morning. Uh, and so looking at what we can do with the meat industry, certainly COVID pointed out some of the downfalls or pitfalls with the, the current uh, makeup of that industry. Um, and I think you could say that about more than just the, the meat industry too. It's really in, in dairy and, and grains too. We have certain issues, you know, issues with, with uh, concentration and all of those. So, uh, you know, looking forward to the, the budget process. Uh, governor has put uh, just about uh, $40 million into his agricultural budget uh, talk right now. So certainly got a lot to look forward to and, uh, in the process of trying to become part more partners with some of the other farm organizations to make sure that we can actually utilize those dollars that the governor has put in the budget. 
Well, it's always great to hear that there is a budget for agriculture on the state level. And that, of course, always is at the forefront uh, when groups like the Farmers Union are advocating on behalf of their members and the important industry and role that agriculture plays in each of your respective states. And finally, uh, my last introduction here today uh, uh, from out in the Beltway, uh, Washington, D.C. region, Dan Simons joins us uh, here today with uh, the Founding Farmers Restaurant Group, a great location to eat when you're out in the nation's capital and other locations out in that area. I always enjoy stopping by when I'm out in D.C. and having a great meal. Again, this is one of those outstanding, diverse businesses that Farmers Union Enterprises has developed. It's a farmers-owned entity. Dan, how are things going out your way? And then I'll let you talk a little bit about the Founding Farmers uh, restaurants as well. You know, we're, uh, we're glad that spring is arriving in the DC area. You know, we've got restaurants in DC and Maryland and Virginia and, and one in Pennsylvania. And so uh, spring is more important than ever this year with the restaurant restrictions and worries about dining indoors. So I would say this is about the most optimistic we've felt in uh, 12 months. So I'm, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens on behalf of our staff and frankly, the general public that wants to get back into restaurants and the, all the incredible producers that supply us who want to see restaurant, you know, restaurants, serving diners, creating jobs, moving product. So I'm, I'm optimistic that spring is going to be really the start, the, the rebirth of our, of our industry nationwide. And Dan, maybe could you expand upon, I, I think here in my part of the world in Montana, we saw restaurants open so much earlier, uh, just because we do have a smaller population. And uh, uh, the previous governor and the current governor uh, worked with so many different task force uh, to, to, to get restaurants and other entities open that I, I don't think I fully grasp the, the real impact that uh, restaurants, uh, the, the people that work in food uh, industry, how much this impacted them. Can, can you maybe describe just the shutdown in general, how long you've been out? Uh, did, were you able to deliver food uh, to, to people uh, during the lockdowns? Could you just maybe walk us through, paint a picture of how this year has looked like and how you all have worked together to make sure and, and keep things rolling out there? So, you know, t today is uh, 12 months to the day that we uh, shut down most of our operations last year. We never actually closed any of our restaurants, but when I say we shut down, I can put that into kind of realistic terms. We had, uh, we laid off 1,100 employees last year on March 16th. That was 100% of our hourly workforce. And, and to give your listeners a sense of, of what that means, you know, it sounds like sort of a data point, 1,100 jobs eliminated. But it's so much more than that. It's one family, another family, another family. You know, you don't, you don't have time, right, for, for on, on, on this show for me to actually take you through over a thousand family stories, losing their income, losing their job, being scared, not knowing what's next. Um, and fortunately for our group, we have this farmer DNA. And so... You know, I've, I've worked with a lot of the farmers and the folks on this call, you know, for, for many years and Mark Watney and this attitude of we will get through it. Um, let's focus on getting through it instead of how difficult it is. That's what we've done. And so, you know, the restaurant shut down, no diners inside, jobs destroyed. But we figured out we promised our staff we laid off. We'll still get you for as long as our business exists. We'll get free food to you and your family until we can bring you back. We created new lines of business. Um, we figured out how to do market and grocery and hard goods and home goods and toilet paper and yeast and things that in our supply chain here, people just could not get. And we started rehiring and creating jobs and bringing people back. And so the year has been an up and down. And, and from a dining perspective, our restrictions have ranged from zero diners allowed indoors to 25% occupancy indoors. Lots and lots of to-go food, lots and lots of curbside pickup, lots and lots of delivery. Um, and even now, 25% or 50% occupancy is where we're at. No standing in the restaurants, nobody's standing at a bar. Uh, folks have their masks off when they're at tables. All the employees are obviously masked. Um, and, you know, all of that wrapped up in 
COVID safety protocols and, you know, frankly, the, the mental health impacts on the workers and the diners. And so it's our job to figure out a new definition of hospitality. And it's still about putting smiles on our own faces first so we can figure out how to make those that want to eat this in, incredibly well-farmed food and restauranted, chefed up food, get it into people's mouths. So, you know, it, it's been very difficult. The individual family stories are real, um, but you do get through it and our team is getting through it. And we ha now have over 800 people back to work of the 1100 that we laid off. Um, and we're running at about 60% of prior sales. So it's been challenging. Um, and, and that's hopefully, you know, gives you some of the sense of what we've been going through. Well, again, Dan, thank you for sharing that. And, and I know it's beneficial for my listeners on this podcast to hear that, because as I mentioned, I think in the larger metropolitan areas uh, that, that were struck by COVID uh, first and severely, and then as it moved its way to our rural communities, we, we I don't think we fully grasp the impact that uh, so many of our uh, fellow brothers and sisters out there across the nation ha have, uh, how it's been impacted, how it's impacted them, excuse me, and just the severity uh, of the pandemic in general. And, and before we jump into this great conversation about the Farmers Union Enterprise donating $50,000 to provide these nutritious box meals uh, to the men and women in the National Guard that are out in our nation's capital here at this point. Uh, could one of our Farmers Union presidents just uh, discuss quickly? I know we've discussed Farmers Union Enterprises before, but uh, uh, let's do a recap of what Farmers Union Enterprises is and all the states that are involved and, uh, and how it helps uh, uh, family farms out? Well, I guess I'll jump in because I'm the, the newest member of the board. And, and you know, one of the things that, that uh, Farmers Union Enterprise has done for me as president of Montana Farmers Union is it's provided me four mentors that I can reach out to on a daily best basis. If I have questions or concerns or need some ideas on how to address issues, I can call Mark or Darren or Gary or Doug and uh, they'll take my call and always have sage advice to, to share with me. But you know, these businesses, it, it really is one of the things that sets Farmers Union apart from many of the other ag organizations. We have these value added businesses that, that uh, are also involved in, in recycling. And, uh, and it's, it's important for farmers to be able to have a a business to, to market our products, to reap benefits from. We've got a hog slaughter facility in Iowa and, um, and we have a pet food canning facility that utilizes a lot of the products that, that we have. Um, it's, it's pretty exciting and it's been a learning process for me. And uh, you know, I'd be more than willing to let some of these uh, mentors of mine share their opinion as well. Yeah, Doug, I saw you came off a of mute first. Do you want to jump in there, Doug Tompke, out of uh, the Dakotas there? Yeah, well, it's a lot like Walter said. You know, we our businesses really take, uh, you know, garbage and turn it into gold. And uh, they're, they're businesses that, as Walter said, enhance our, our own organizations and also enhance our farmers. And uh, without these businesses, it would take so much more to to run our own organizations uh, we just can't do it on membership alone uh, and we've got a great team in Redwood Falls that manage these uh, businesses for us uh, they've got a great technique they create a great uh, uh, pattern that they follow and uh, as Walter said not only does that work for us but also the the cooperation between the states uh, to make this happen and you know, we're very fortunate to be standing on the shoulders of forefathers that had the foresight uh, to see something evolve to this uh, uh, level. And, you know, we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to do that more and more, uh, not only uh, with the products that we're used to, but new products coming on the market. For instance, hemp is something that we're very interested in developing. And, and as uh, Mark stated about processing of uh smaller processing of food centers in, in our local areas. That's something we're very interested in. So 
we're, we're constantly looking to develop uh, these markets, not only for our businesses, but also for our uh, farmers and ranchers that we represent. And Wayne, what, it's, what it has allowed is the five states by pooling their resources, it has given us a business venture that's able to help all five states individually in their own you know, state legislatures in both at a national level, whether it's building another venture, but it's really, really allowing a farmer's voice to be at the table setting policy, both in state levels and national level. And that's that's very important, you know, with the as polarized as politics are right now, it's really important to have a strong farmer voice center in, in there in helping setting policy. And that's what Farmers Union is able to do. Thanks for that insight, Gary. Um, I, I do want to know, obviously, with the, the Founding Farmers restaurants, when did this idea surface? And uh, maybe who were some of the folks that were involved in, in that process and, and thinking, you know what, we produce great food and let's show people in these uh, areas what great food we produce and let's serve it up. Who, can we talk maybe about the history uh, of the restaurant group? But Mark, uh, do you want to share more on that? Sure. Uh, this uh, concept started in North Dakota with uh, actually a group of farmers that came to the state organization that had been uh, trying to be participants in value-added agriculture and quickly learned that, uh, you know, if you take um, Durham wheat and make pasta, or if you take hard red spring wheat and make bread, you tend to take one commodity and you end up with another commodity and you're still kind of at the whim of the marketplace in a very low margin, uh, not a lot of room for uh, profit to be shared amongst all the members. So the group kind of came together, formed what they called the ultimate cooperative. It was going to be the solution for everything and uh, spun its wheels for about a year and, and finally said, you know, if we don't start, um, we're never going to figure this out. So the, the concept really was how do we go right to the consumer and then own the system all the way back to the farmer? And uh, from that, then uh, the State Farmers Union, and, and, and as these guys describe very well about Farmers Union Enterprises, put some money together to, uh, to build some restaurants. And uh, I will tell you, and, and, and Dan will appreciate this, uh, we pretty much failed miserably right out of the chute. Uh, in fact, we operated for about a year and a half. And, and Dan and his team, the BSAG group, Dan and Mike McKirvick, actually uh, were kind of randomly picked to come in and evaluate what we have tried to do. And, uh, and, and let us know what uh, mistakes we made and what we need to fix. And, and really what they told us, and it's, it's more than that, and, and, and I don't want to take away from your talent, Dan, but it was more than a sense of, he said, why didn't you build your original business plan? Because the original business plan has a lot of what we incorporate in to get to where we're at today, um, again, with uh, Dan and Mike tweaking and making it better and actually delivering on it. And uh, it really was about abundant food uh, delivered from family farms and farmer owned. And, and uh, we put my, Dan and Mike in the, in the place. And uh, until COVID hit, uh, we were on a pretty decent roll of making some pretty decent money. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of parts here. You hit it on the head. You had a start of farmers, the grassroots, asked the farm organization to help them. The farm organization knowingly didn't have enough money to do it by themselves. So we incorporated Farmers Union Enterprises, some other four states to help us kind of incubate the concept. And, and uh, we rolled it out and here we are. And, uh, and I, I'm with Dan, I, I, I've been very frustrated for about a year, but uh, I believe um, assuming us vaccination programs work, which I think they will, we're gonna be very well positioned to start to kind of rebuild and grow and the opportunity is going to be huge going forward. Well, again, I just wanted that brief history just to, to share, as you mentioned, how this all really does come from the grassroots level and then sharing it uh, with folks out in the nation's capital, that, uh, that hard work that we put into growing food and fiber. And now to the meat of the matter that I shared with at the introduction with our listeners here today, uh, I don't want to get into the politics really of, of why we have troops in our nation's capital, but we all respect our troops and we want them to be uh, respected at all times. We want them to be uh, fed nutritious food as well, no matter if they're in our nation's capital or overseas or, or helping out with a natural disaster somewhere here in the United States. And uh, I just thought this was so great uh, when I heard about 
farmers union enterprises and all your respective farmers union state associations coming together, donating $50,000 cash uh, to provide nutritious box meals. And uh, sometimes when you hear box meals, like, oh yeah, but I've seen pictures of these box meals that the founding farmers restaurant groups have provided our troops out in the nation's capital. And it's it's not your going on a field trip box meal from the, the, the local school district, that's for sure. And uh, Walter, I'll, I'll start with you on this. What, what does it mean to you to uh, look at this as an opportunity to just say thank you to our troops, Thank you for serving and, and also recognizing that nutrition should be a, a top priority uh, for our troops and, uh, and our men and women that serve and wear the uniform. Well, you know, it, uh, it all started when I was having a conversation with Mike Strands, who's in charge of our government affairs in, in Washington, D.C., and I was talking to him about food security and, and how important it is and how this pandemic has put a microscope on our uh, food supply chain and it's broken. When, when our meat counters are empty, when our uh, being rationed dairy products and, and produce, while livestock producers are euthanizing their livestock and dumping milk down the drain and plowing in vegetables, there's something wrong with our food supply chain. And I was talking to him about, you know, Senator Tester, who's a legacy farmers union member, his grandparents were farmers union members. And I was telling him, you know, we need to take advantage of his new position as the chair of the defense appropriations to, to look at food security and how important it is to the United States. And Mike says, you know, we're reading in the press that our guard is getting substandard food and not enough of it. And when we can't even feed the guard that's protecting our capital and our democracy, food in our nation's capital, that's a problem. And I thought to myself, we need to fix this. And so I reached out to, the, to our partners here at Farmers Union Enterprise, told them, and, and they felt the same way. We need to feed our guard. And, uh, and we reached out to founding farmers, and, uh, and this is all just a little seed that got planted, and, uh, and I'm pretty excited about how quick it came together. And, and I'm kind of hoping that we can get some more people to join us by, by donating to our foundations to help uh, pay for some more of these lunch boxes. Well, uh, I'll be sending you a name of uh, an individual that reached out to Russell Nimitz and I on our Western Ag Network uh, radio uh, platform. They, they sent us an email and, and actually I, I should just pull up that email. I think you all would uh, appreciate uh, this uh, individual's uh, very kind words. And uh, this was, uh, gentlemen, this was a, a letter that uh, an email we got to our Western Ag Network email here today. And it says, hello. I heard about the wonderful donations that Farmers Union made to feed the troops in Washington, D.C., and it brought tears to my eyes. I'm always touched when the community pitches in to help our troops and those less fortunate, especially our farmers helping. I'm just an average working individual who wants to make a contribution to your organization. It's not much, but my heart wants to give what I have. Uh, please email me the details, which I will pass that off. But uh, doesn't that make you feel pretty good that... Uh, uh, just hearing that from a, a listener of our program that just uh, it really tugged at her heartstrings. Yes, it does. And, and, it, and it is very true because, you know, these, these guards are making sacrifices to, to protect our country. And, and, and it isn't asking much to be able to feed them and feed them a good meal. Now, Darren, for you, uh, what, when you first heard about uh, this idea, what, what were some of the first thoughts that ran through your mind? Well, certainly first, first was that, yes, they do need to have a nutritious meal. And after hearing some of the substandard meals that they are receiving, um, something needed to be done. But, you know, it's, uh, one of the statistics that's out there is that about 16% of our national uh, defense uh, our people in, in the National Guard and the, the other military forces actually comes from rural America. And we're only represented by about 2% of the population. So um, we go above and beyond in, in rural America the way it seems. And it just seemed like this was something that fit into that mentality that uh, when your neighbors are struggling or need, you you pitch in and in, um, either by providing food or, or 
the actual labor itself and uh, being more, you know, thousands of miles away from the nation's capital. Um, this was just really our best opportunity to contribute to helping in a time of, of need. So, you know, the, the boxes that have been prepared are, you know, certainly going to be well received, I would imagine, by our, our troops that are out there guarding the nation's capital and, and really taking care of our democracy so that we can have these conversations, too. Now, Dan, jumping back to you out uh, near our nation's capital, um, uh, how how fast did this uh, concept from from the time you were first contacted to uh, uh, putting together these nutritious box meals for our troops? Uh, what what did the timeline look like? And it almost, you, I know you've been serving a lot of box food anyways for consumers out there. Uh, it seems that you already had that uh, system in place. Uh, how how quick uh, from concept to carrying it out would you say it took? Well, if we were on video, I would, for effect, look down at my stopwatch. I, I mean, I can tell you that uh, Mark Watney called me uh, sort of maybe mid, late afternoon, Thursday, mid morning, Friday. I don't, and said, Dan, you know, could, you know, if, if we can pull the, this uh, cash together, can, can we execute this in the restaurant? And I said, you know, hell yeah, we can. Um, and, you know, and I said, Mark, th this will do so much good you know, please make it happen. I mean, it was, uh, you know, some days you just need some good news dropped from the skies. And that's how I felt when I got that phone call. So, you know, over the next sort of 96 hours, uh, using everybody's connections and network and our relationships here on the street, the literal street in DC, um, you know, we pulled it off in whatever it was, four days or five days. And, and, you know, when you say boxed lunch or boxed meal, let, let me paint a different picture just because what that, think of it more as a, a chef crafted catering delivery of delicious fresh food using family farmed ingredients. I think that that is the picture of the kinds of foods that we're getting to these folks in the garden now. You painted that picture way better than, than I could, and I appreciate that because that's what I think is so important to our listeners to, to share. It's not, it's not the box meal that, that you think about when you hear that term. And, and, and how many meals uh, do you think we're going to be able to share with our troops out in the nation's capital, Dan? Uh, just over 5,000. Uh, and so we're, we're spreading that out over, over several days, of course, and over several meal periods. Uh, you know, our restaurants are open at breakfast, so we have breakfast foods and obviously lunch and dinner and some snack foods. Uh, and this is getting, you know, when I talk about farmed product, this is, you know, when I think about, we make all our own fresh pasta. So if we make a sun-dried tomato pasta salad, that's North Dakota flour that we've turned into pasta, right? Those are American-grown tomatoes. Um, and, you know, when we whip our own butter that's going on the slice of cornbread in one of these meals, you know, the, the honey that we add honey to the butter because isn't honey butter just so much better than butter? Um, you know, that's Bela honey. And, and so these are, you know, producers in the Dakotas that, that we get this product into D.C. So, um, you know, this first of all, fifty thousand dollars is a huge sum of money. Um, it makes a big difference. It's not just chef crafted meals. It's the food that we buy, the ingredients that we buy. It's the jobs that go into then making the food and getting it there. And at the same time, $50,000 isn't nearly enough. Like it is a remarkable, it is a staggeringly high donation from this group of farmers. I was blown away by the number and we could use more and, and, and the guard does need more support and there is a tremendous amount of food insecurity. And so when folks, you know, dig into their own pocket, that email you read, tugs at my heartstrings too, because this is really the best of America, right? And it's, and it's not, you know, Gary mentioned, you know, the polarization that's out there. Yeah, that's what's on the news and that's what you talk about. But when you live, I think, I don't live on the farm, but my hunch is when you live on the farm and you live, you know, in the city streets, like I do where these restaurants are, these are Americans helping each other, right? And so the guard protects us, we feed them, the guard is made up of all sorts of folks. And so it's, to me, it's a wonderful story of what happens when American producers support other folks in the country. And so there's, there's a heartwarming part of this story and it also highlights the need. 
Definitely. Well, again, Dan, thanks for sharing uh, more of the details on it. And Mark, for yourself as a producer, uh, farmers and ranchers like to get things done pretty fast if we can. And, and four days being able to put this together, uh, hats off to you and the crew. But uh, what what are some of the business you know decisions that have to be made and, and just the, the time and effort that goes into you know allocating these funds and pooling it together? Uh, what's it mean to you to help feed our troops? Well, it, uh, the good news was that, uh, you know, Walter brought forward the idea from Montana and, and uh, due to the fact that we have such a strong relationship between the five states of Farmers Union Enterprises, um, you know, you asked the question, what do we think? It, it was so obvious that uh, that portion of it was the simple part. Uh, the hard part was, is we were trying to, um, you know, see if we could get some matching funds from maybe the Congress or the Senate uh, we were trying that. So we probably delayed ourselves by about a day and a half, uh, you know, waiting to hear back from them. And, and finally, um, you know, once we had the five states involved, we said, you know, I was talking to Walter, let's just wait another half a day and just pull the trigger and get this thing done. So uh, uh, fortunately, we had the cash available. So uh, once we were able to wire the funds, that's when we were able to tell Dan, get it done, Dan. And here's our contacts, here's your contacts. And, and uh, they pulled it together. So I, I think it just really shows the, the commitment that the five states here, along with National Farmers Union, was involved to of, of getting stuff done when we need to get it done. And thanks to everybody. And Dan, another question for you, since you are boots on the ground out there, what, what are you hearing from the men and women that are receiving these meals? And what's that experience like uh, hearing that? You know, it's... It's joyful. I mean, I have to say the, um, the, the appreciation that gets expressed, you know, when, when we're doing this sort of thing and specifically this with the guard, it's really wonderful. I, it, it doesn't see, it's not complicated to understand when, for, when I think when you're the guards folk who are receiving this, they understand that there's a lot behind it and they they know you know their sacrifice is apparent to them every day and so when i think they get recognized and they get a thank you and they get delicious premium quality food um the appreciation is just clear you see it in people's eyes uh you hear it in the words and it's not just the ones receiving it it's everybody in that chain because we we've got to get through security we have to get through the fence there's other folks involved in the logistics then there's thoughts of cleanup and recycling and we we try to compost any food waste so uh there's a lot of folks touching this sort of thing with a donation at this incredible scale uh and i can i would say heartfelt appreciation is the reaction and it's a smile. It's a touch on the shoulder. It's a, wow, man, thanks so much. And so th those are the things that you get. And it's awesome. Well, especially during a year when uh, there hasn't been much one-on-one -on -one communication between neighbors and even family to just uh, bring joy and, and food truly does bring people together. Uh, I think that's so important. Uh, uh, Doug, I want to ask you, and then Walter, I'll come to you. Uh, what, what does it mean to you, you know, being a, being a producer, being a leader within a farmer's union to just hear the, the, the thanks from a troop that is just getting that healthy, nutritious meal that, you know, maybe, you know, is missing their family at home. Maybe they've lost loved ones due to COVID in that meal could truly just change their day or their perspective on things right now. Yeah, it's a lot like what Dan just said, uh, but what it reminds me of is you know, growing up on the farm and getting together with the neighbors, doing harvest, uh, uh, and the you know the moms bringing the meals out to you. It, it, that's the kind of meal this is, and 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 working cattle, everyone gets together in brands and and vaccinates their livestock and uh, and having them meals delivered, and then of course you know that breaking of bread. Uh, with each other is that's you know that's just what we do right i mean and to share that with our troops doing this work for us this important very important work of helping protect our democracy i mean man that just ties the whole country in i mean that's it's it really does make you proud that you're amongst this group of people and and helping this group uh so much walter do you want to add something there well you know um the the guard i hear is going to be there until at least the first of may 
And I would sure like to be able to continue to feed this guard uh, that's protecting our democracy, protecting our capital in our nation's capital. And so if, if you're any, anyone out there in the, your listeners land uh, is interested in helping, uh, we have put a, uh, on our food security for us, that's food security, F-O-R-US.com, a donation button. If you want to help feed the guard, please go to for, food security for us. And, and every little bit helps. Uh, Gary, I want to get your reaction to all this. What, what are you hearing from uh, your uh, members over in the state of Minnesota that ha- are reacting to the news of, um, of how Farmers Union and their entities are uh, paying it forward and, and helping feed our troops? Well, we've got a couple things here. Here, you know, obviously very positive news, but the five states just recently, we gave, uh, we all, through all five of our states, gave a 35,000 pound rib donation from our pork plant that went to each each uh, individual state through the food bank networks. I know in Minnesota, our second harvest heartland is the one that administers that. So that food went out throughout greater Minnesota then also some in the metro here too. But when the pandemic started, I know the director of the food or the second harvest told me that they're, they couldn't keep up. The, the demand for food exceeded 30% of what they had done in the past. You know, he said he had a lot of people that were getting by in the past, but just cannot make it anymore. And then so many people lost their jobs. So, so you know, along at that and then donating to our troops, it's, there's food security all over. So it's it just another step. It, it just really compliments everybody. And uh, we've heard nothing but positive comments on that. You know, and we're just fortunate as farmers, you know, we're, we are out producing, raising that food. We're just fortunate uh, that we're able to help people in need. We've been, we've all been there ourselves on our own farms too. So we, we know what it's like. So, you know, to, uh, you know, it's it just, just, we're just glad we're in a position to help people out. Now, Walter, as you mentioned, folks are, are uh, they can make donations uh, through the, the website. And I'll have that link in our podcast description. But uh, what, what's in the future for other projects like this? Obviously having food security for our troops, food security for consumers that maybe can't afford food or can't afford food or just uh, income security for farmers and ranchers. Um, would one of you like to jump in and maybe look at maybe a bigger picture, how, how we take uh, these donations and, and help feed more, not only our troops, but all Americans and those hungry around the world? Well, you know, I think that one of the things that we've got to look at is revisit our food system. Uh, You know, this cheap food policy that we've had for over 60 years is a whole lot more about corporate control of the food dollar than it is about cheap food. And, and, you know, I'm, as you can see, I'm a young farmer. And, uh, and when I first started farming, Montana fed ourselves over 70% of the food we ate in Montana, we produced, we processed, and we ate it ourselves. I could go to my local grocery store and most of the food on the shelves was Montana grown, Montana prepared. Now it's less than 10%. We need to get back to a food supply chain that grows local, prepares local to be eaten local. And that's why Montana Farmers Union with our help uh, uh, partners from Farmers Union Enterprise is starting a meat processing cooperative up by Haver. To, to be able to process our own livestock. I mean, Montana, we eat over 100,000 head a year, and yet we only have the capabilities of processing less than 20,000. This needs to change. And we're also working with MSU Northern to develop a meat processing curriculum, because if we're gonna have more butcher shops, we're gonna need more butchers. And, and it's all little things like that. If we're going to change our food supply system, we need to be ready to fill the void. Mark, thank you for that, Walter. Mark, I saw you on to, to jump in as well. Sure. And, and along with that uh, process that Walter talked about, we, uh, we need to get some labeling laws in place so people uh, truly aren't misled by what they're eating. And and it's a little bit obvious there's there's certain products that uh, you can't grow in North Dakota and our growing season is basically 100 days. So we still have to have some shipping around the country and getting products. But uh, we hope to create that atmosphere where 
um, we're finding the avenue to get those farmers markets uh, or farmers products into the markets. Um, we've designed a trucking system here in North Dakota and we do pick up along the way when Dan talks about sugar, flour, honey, um, even wheat, um, some uh, bacon and sausage, uh, pick up grits on the way surprisingly and um, things that we do to bring out to those restaurants. Uh, so, uh, you know, you do have to blend some of the products growing in part of the country with uh, uh, parts that are growing in other parts of the country. And, and even at the restaurants, uh, there's, there's times a year when we can't get certain spices uh, that we can't get even within the U.S., but we try our best. So it's really about people understanding that their food does not come from a grocery store and the companies that are exploiting the family farm and using it in their names and misleading and mislabeling, we got to fix that. So truth and labeling is key to this process. Uh, Darren, how about for you out there? Uh, obviously, uh, uh, dairy has been a, a huge center focus of so many of our trade deals and, and trade disputes uh, with our friends of the north and Canada. How are how is the dairy sector shaping up here into the early part of 2021? Well, early here, we're doing all right, I guess. Uh, prices are somewhat stable, but uh, looking at a probably a steep drop here in the next uh, month and a half to two months. Uh, going back to three, four, five dollars under the cost of production. Uh, and it's due to the spring flush that we see throughout the country and throughout the world at this time of the year. Uh, just too much milk being produced. Uh, there's already talks about the, in a month or so, there's probably going to have to be some milk discarded because there just isn't enough processing capacity. And, uh, you know, it's really, it's, it's a waste. And, and why are we at that? Uh, but you know, it really comes down to what both Mark and Walter mentioned earlier, the structure of agriculture and, you know, the consumer, as they're getting more and more educated and understanding what's happening to their food supply, they want it to come from their local area. They don't want to have to depend on a grocery store chain that's based in Texas to deliver their food to them in northern Wisconsin. They want it to come from closer to home. And so that really means we have to get back to a structure of agriculture where you have a lot more processing capacity um, throughout the country versus the centralized processing that we're currently dealing with that uh, COVID really showed is not the, the way to go. Um, you know, big is not better uh, when you have situations like we've had in the last year. Uh, we'd be much better off to have 10,000 processing facilities instead of 5,000 processing facilities throughout the country. So, uh, you know, looking at that, uh, you know, we're certainly hearing that loud and clear from our members, but also our non-members, uh, you know, the, the consumers that are buying products from our farmers and our members are saying, we want to buy from you. We, we don't want to buy from the big retails, the Walmarts or the Kroger's, uh, places like that. It, it needs to come from the mom and pop shops and, you know, I know we're not ever going to get back to the having a cheese uh, processing facilities in every township in the state of Wisconsin like we once were, but we certainly need to make sure that we've got them spread out more so that the workforce, um, if we do run into issues of, of pandemics or illness, uh, that they can find the workers to fill in then and make sure those facilities continue to run. Well, and as you and and that's why I'm I'm glad you brought up the dairy aspect of processing. And for myself, growing up on a cow calf operation, I I get focused on a protein on the on the meat side of processing. And even in the small town of Lewistown, Montana, where I grew up, there used to be three to four different places that process beef. Even when I was growing up, we do have a few more now, especially with uh, uh, the opportunities uh, that the state of Montana and, and, uh, and COVID funding has created to get some smaller processing plants put into place. But uh, Doug, I want to uh, get you to join the conversation here again. Um, in South Dakota, what are some of the, the projects that uh, Farmers Union is working on on the processing into things? I, I'm assuming meat processing, but what are some other issues that are addressing uh, opportunities? opportunities for producers to process and make more money at home? Well, the most interesting one most recently is the hemp, uh, just hemp processing and what we can do there. There's a lot of avenues that uh, we can pursue. Um, not necessarily, we're not focused so much on the, the oil that a lot of them are, but uh, more on uh, the curd or the herd and the, the fiber. That's our biggest uh, we see a lot of opportunity that we can make some uh, progress. And, and then on the seed production, uh, we've got a uh, individual that we're working with uh, 
to, to build the, that environment. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't plant this stuff if you don't have the seed either. So um, that's, that's really something that we've really focused on lately. And this legislative session, uh, we addressed it a little bit more and uh, I think we're going to continue to, to move forward. It's kind of ironic because uh, our governor's done anything but be helpful uh, in that area. Uh, as a matter of fact, she didn't even want to see us get into uh, producing hemp and here we are. Well, thanks. Thanks for that example. Who is Walter? Yep. So, you know, uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow at noon, the Montana Farmers Union Board is going to be meeting with our director of ag, Mike Foster, here in the state. And we're going to be brainstorming together with him about how we can increase opportunities for agriculture. You know, the American Rescue Plan has got uh, dollars that they have uh, targeted for improving our processing industry in our local states. And so we're going to be brainstorming with him. You know, there was the food box program that was supposed to help small farmers who were uh, shut down by not being able to market their products at farmers markets. Uh, it was going to be a way to get that produce to the people in need. But it bypassed Montana growers. We bid on that. We had members who bid on it, but it was all being supplied by these big corporations out of the Midwest and the West Coast. And, uh, and we're hoping that visiting with Mike Foster, we can kind of change that a little bit. But, you know, Lane, the other thing that's critically important is getting the word out. And that's where you and Russell are helping a bunch. And I appreciate the partnership you have with Montana Farmers Union spreading the message. Thank you. Oh, you bet, Walter. It's uh, it's our 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 honor to 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 BS for a living <laughs> and help uh, other farmers and ranchers stay in business, uh, of course. And Dan, I have a question for you, uh, but I'm going to go to uh, Gary first. Obviously, climate has been at the top of a lot of producers' minds, and uh, you know some producers have been uh, very. Uh, uh, involved in the climate discussion. Uh, some are maybe a little threatened about uh, this, the, the uh, maybe priorities within the Biden administration. Uh, how important is it for agriculture to, to have a seat at the table and discuss uh, these climate uh, discussions and not uh, be resistant to it, but actually play a role in creating um, a, a conversation around climate? I think all you have to do is look at the weather patterns that have happened over the last number of years. We had a we had a well-known speaker speak to our state convention a few years ago, and uh, and he just said in his discussions with farmers, you know, whether they agree or not, whether it's climate change or whether it's man-made climate change, it didn't seem to matter. They all agreed something is the weather is changing. You know, Minnesota this last year, for the most part, our state we had very favorable weather. The year before, we up, up in the northwest, we had a significant amount of acres that didn't get harvested because it was too wet potatoes, sugar beets, uh, even some wheat never got harvested. Uh, we've had the last three, not this year, but the three years before that, we've had 10 inch rains in various parts of the farm or the state within a 12 hour period. On my own farm, I had, we experienced three 10 inch rains, you know, one each year in less than 24 hours. You know, that that's causing tremendous, not only damage to the farmers, but to our roads. You know, a lot of roads got washed out. You know, a lot, it's it just, things are changing. And I think the people's attitudes are changing. They're willing to listen, willing to look, and how can we be part of the solution? You know, and that's where farmers, you know, we have to be at the table to be helped develop the policies that are actually going to make a difference. You know, we can't have somebody from some think tank tell us what, what we have to do. You know, we have to be involved in doing the things and so they actually do make a difference. Thank you for that. And Dan, I wanted to uh, clue you back here into the conversation. Um, I, I always think it's important that uh, my, my listeners of this podcast, they come from all backgrounds, all political beliefs. And that's, and I always try to um, instill in them uh, listening to consumer preference and what consumers are looking for uh, out in the restaurants, out in the Washington DC area. Uh, what, what kind of feedback do you listen to when it, when it comes to maybe what uh, consumers are, are, are into at the time? Uh, how does that impact your buying decisions? Um, and how important is it to listen to consumer preference? Well, for me, consumer preference is paramount. 
it doesn't matter what I want or what I think, or if I want to preach about a product or a topic, you know, my goal is to separate people from their money and make it so enjoyable that they want to do it over and over and over again and tell their friends to come do it. And so that means that I need to create these experiences around what people want. The trends that I hear a lot about, uh, and let me say, I find these trends optimistic. Um, I find diners more and more interested in where their food comes from, who grew their food, the journey of their food. I find more and more diners wanting to connect uh, wellness, health, and nutrition to their dining choices while still wanting to enjoy fried chicken or, you know, waffles with honey butter. And so, you know, it's clear to me that people want to indulge, but they want to do it in, you know, what I probably call a more mindful way. And people are starting to understand that the choices they make with the food they per purchase has ramifications. The, the reason I say this is optimistic is what we say to our diners is vote with your pocketbook. You know, if you want to support America or you want to support American family farmers, we'll ask questions when you shop and when you dine. And so those are some of the trends that I hear more and more about. There's some other interesting trends too. Uh, you know, this younger generation drinks less alcohol than we've ever seen. Um, you can probably relate some of that to the, you know, the increase in, in cannabis use, but this younger generation has a different view of, you know, food and entertainment and hospitality than the generations above them. So I think as producers and for me as a frontline server, we do have to pay attention to what folks are talking about and make sure that we adjust accordingly. I think that people do want more diversity of food choice. And so when we talk to diners, you know, hey, did you know that not all carrots look just like that one? Hey, did you know there's more mushrooms out there than the button? Um, and so hopefully this creates more opportunities for producers and growers and a more diversified uh, overall production system. So those are some of the things that I'm hearing. Well, Dan, thanks for that insight. I, I just think it's important for all farmers and ranchers to, to hear that and also to go experience this, uh, whether it's at a, a farmer's market or, or even at your local restaurant, learning about uh, what consumer preference is. And, and finally, my last area, you know, rural, rural America is, is, is hesitant as this vaccine, uh, COVID vaccine rolls out. Um, would one of uh, and actually here in Montana, I just got a notification that on April first, all Montanans sixteen and older will be eligible to get the COVID vaccine. Which, I, I hopefully you know people do participate in that. But what, would one of you maybe just share what what you would say to one of your fellow farmers and ranchers that uh, is hesitant about getting the vaccine? Um, just uh, the importance of. Uh, trying to get this uh, world back to normal uh, and how the, the vaccine may play into that. I, I think it's their patriotic duty to get the COVID shot when it's provided to them. If we're going to get our economy back on track, if we're going to get back to having public meetings and our schools open every day, we all need to get this shot. And, and you know, in the cattle business, it's a matter of of what you need to do to keep your cattle alive. We all have been vaccinating our cattle to inoculate them against these diseases. And, and it only makes sense to inoculate ourselves against this virus as well. It's our patriotic duty. I think we lost Mark there, but Darren, were you going to add in on that? Well, I think uh, Walter said everything I was going to say, you know, in the dairy industry, we vaccinate for any, respiratory virus or any other virus that's out there and so if we're practicing it on the on our animals shouldn't we be practicing it on ourselves and you know really like Walter said too if we want to get the economy opened up sooner than later uh, you we have to get that done and and looking at you know the battle that we're fighting with this coronavirus uh, you know, we don't send our troops into battle with no bullets. And that's really what the vaccine is, is that bullet that we need to to beat this uh, this this uh, virus that we're dealing with. So, yeah, it's you know, it's crucial. There, there's all kinds of reasons can be put forward not to. I've heard some really stupid ones. Um, but, you know, let's be smart about it. Let's be patriotic and, and get the get the job done and win this battle. 
I just want to thank you all. And again, we're right at an hour and I don't want to take any more of your time. I know we're all busy, but uh, I'll give any of you the floor if you'd like to share uh, anything before I, I let you get back to your day here today. If, if anyone wants to make a comment, I'll let you do that. All right. Well, gentlemen, I, I really appreciate you all being a part of this conversation. And, and again, we, we really dived into a quick cliff notes of, of Farmers Union Enterprises, but uh, the big role that it is playing and will play in, in keeping not only our troops uh, fed with nutritious meals, but uh, uh, trying to make sure that uh, farmers and ranches are profitable and that uh, Americans have a healthy food source uh, available at all times. So I just want to thank you all. I will have uh, links in the podcast, friends, to foodsecurityforus.com, where you can make a contribution to help feed individuals like our men and women in the National Guard that are stationed out in Washington, D.C., or for the other projects that they are working on. And hey, when you get out to the nation's capital, when when traveling is a little more easier, go check out uh, the Founding Farmers restaurants. You can find them at we are foundingfarmers.com. But again, thank you so much uh, to our outstanding leaders, Walter Schweitzer, president of the Montana Farmers Union, Mark Watney, North Dakota Farmers Union president, Gary Werdish with the Minnesota Farmers Union, Dan Simons with Farmers Restaurant Group, Doug Sompke out of South Dakota, and Darren Von Ruden. Thank you all for joining us here today. Well, friends, that will do it for this edition of the Lancast Ag Podcast. I'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning into the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.